Welcome back to Rubrics, a St. Timothy's podcast. It is Wednesday, March 1st, after the first Sunday in Lent, which means today is an Ember Day. So for those who uh, don't know, Ember Days happen four times a year. I believe the word itself comes from some um, translation of a Latin phrase meaning four, and there are four times in the year in which we are asked to pray for those who are to be ordained. Um, these are times when you know ordinations were were proper to to happen um, during Peter Tide and and St. Lucy's Day, um, and then we have one after the first Sunday of Lent here and on Holy Cross. But um, there are three collects given in the prayer book, and what I what I like is the first one you know keeps that tradition for those to be ordained, um, and then the third one is for all Christians in their vocation. So it's it's a time when we obviously pray for those to be ordained, very personal to me now. This will be my last uh, Ember Day before my ordination to the priesthood. But it's also a reminder for all Christians that we have a unique calling um, wherever we may be in life to be a, a proclaimer, a minister of the gospel, to show Christ to all persons. And then for for you and I, there's there's a specific ordained ministry element to that in which we share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ um, and are tied to almost, in a sense, the altar, where that is kind of where we, we find our, our source. But for all people, wherever they may be, there is that element of being a minister in proclaiming the good news, just not specifically tied to the sacraments. Yeah, I mean, I've always—this is not the origin of the word—I've always— like to think of ember days as where the fire is kindled yeah. within those, uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit kindled in those called to ordain ministry. Mm-hmm. There are, the ember days are on Wednesdays, Friday, and Saturdays mm-hmm. after the first Sunday in Lent. Correct me, Father, look in the prayer book. First Sunday in Lent, Pentecost, yeah. Holy Cross Day, mm-hmm. uh, be the Wednesday, Friday, Saturday after Holy Cross, which is September 14th. And then the Wednesday, Friday, Saturday after St. Lucy's yeah. Day, which is December. The 13th. funny little phrase that people always remember is Lenti, Penti, Lucy, Crucy. That's or it. Crucy, Lucy. Yep. So, you know. And then um, if you've never heard of Ember Days, you have actually, if you've ever ordered shrimp tempura. Oh. Um, and um, because um, that is, is, is reflected to the, um, the um, Ember Days of, of fasting. Um, of, um, of, of abstaining from, from flesh meat on days of fasting. And so uh, the dish of, you know, that sort of shrimp. I did not uh, know that. And, and the tempura means times or seasons. Mm. So obviously Lent would be um, springtime, yeah, springtime and then Pentecost, summertime, um, Holy Cross, fall, and St. Lucie in winter. Mm-hmm. So it does mark the seasons. Uh, and as you mentioned, the three colics for Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday sort of mm-hmm. run the gamut of um, all kinds of ministry. But let's do the collect and let's talk briefly about where you are. Yes, yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the first one for those to be ordained. Let us pray. Almighty God, the giver of all good gifts, who of thy divine providence hast appointed various orders in thy church, give thy grace, we humbly beseech thee, to all who are called to any office and ministry for thy people. And so fill them with the truth of thy doctrine, and clothe them with holiness of life, that they may faithfully serve thee, serve before thee, to the glory of thy great name, and for the benefit of thy holy church. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So for most of us, these next 40 days are the normal, it's the normal season of Mm -hmm. Lent preparing for the resurrection of our Lord. Yeah. For you, however, 
the next 45 or so yeah. days, not only in preparation for the resurrection, but your ordination is Saturday and Easter week. It is, yes. April 15th. Um, I mean, we're preparing in our own way for mm-hmm. Easter. How are you preparing for your ordination? Yeah, I, I think I mentioned this um, on our on our Ash Wednesday service, but I, I printed the, um, and the 79 has this too, it was just a bit expounded in, the, in some of the first prayer books, the exhortation um, in the priesthood ordination rite. Um, there's several paragraphs kind of explaining the office and kind of a, a um, you know, setting the stage, uh, speaking to the ordinance that this is what you're called to do, you know, the weight of the ministry, so on and so forth. And I've, I've put that in a prayer book and a Bible, and I'm trying to read that once or twice a day to kind of constantly remind me that this is not just a normal Lenten season for me. I, I, there's something else I'm preparing for. Um, and you know, as I think of, of what is to come, um, it is kind of a weird state of mind to be in because, you know, I'm looking toward Holy Week and toward Easter, but that almost feels like, you know, I get through that and then, you know, I have something even bigger personally. You know, Easter will happen every year of my life. This ordination will only happen once. So I'm trying to kind of live in both worlds, but I, I think they they go really well together because um, ideally anybody to be ordained would want to embark on that preparation with, with penitence, with fasting, with abstinence, um, kind of preparing to be filled with the Holy Spirit by, by kind of, you know, purging the things that are, that are extra. Um, and so the, those Lenten disciplines I've found to be very helpful and also mentally preparing for, for my ordination and kind of, you know, drawing closer and closer to that. Um, they kind of line up perfectly together. Have you given any thought are you going to be able, and I guess it would have to be Easter week, really, of having any kind of retreat before the ordination? I don't think, um, you know, anyone out in a desert monastery, yeah. you know, as wonderful as that would be. Um, but, you know, that, that Easter week, I think, will be an especially impactful time. Um, you know, things kind of slow down. You, you've, you've hit the finish line, um, and you kind of have that week to, to live in the resurrection. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that week of taking some intentional time um, a lot of time in prayer and trying to kind of be a little bit more quiet that week after, you know, the the extravagance of, of Holy Week and Easter um, and kind of let that sit with me for, for a few days before, you know, we have a, a quite a whirlwind trip again for that weekend. But um, it's an exciting time and uh, a lot of the, you know, Lenten scripture readings um, and calls to preparation kind of hit in a different way right now. What are you most excited about, about being a priest? What terrifies you the most? And what part do you feel the most unprepared um, to do or experience? That's good. That's good. Uh, I think, you know, as I, as I think about, um, I'm going to flip to the uh, Episcopal service and, and read part of that um, ordination deacon. Oop, it's backwards. Here we go. Ordination priest. Um, here's the examination in, in the 79, and this kind of gets at um, uh, both what I'm most excited for and what, kind of what I'm most nervous about. Um, this is from the second paragraph, and the bishop is addressing the ordinance. As a priest, it will be your task to proclaim by word and deed the gospel of Jesus Christ and to fashion your life in accordance with its precepts. You are to love and serve the people among whom you work, 
caring alike for young and old, strong and weak, rich and poor. You are to preach, to declare God's forgiveness to penitent sinners, to pronounce God's blessings, to share in the administration of holy baptism and the celebration of the mysteries of Christ's body and blood, and to perform all the other ministrations entrusted to you. In all that you do, you are to nourish Christ's people from the riches of his grace and to strengthen them to glorify God in this life and in the life to come. I think that really does get at some of the highest highs and the, the biggest challenges. Um, the, the idea that you are God's hands and feet um, in, in very literal and obvious ways. I mean, you get to share with people in, in the body and blood. You get to be with them at their baptism. In all that you do, you nourish Christ's people from the riches of his grace. That is a, an enormous privilege it also means that in all that you do, you are to nourish Christ's people. I mean, there's a weight to that. Um, and you think of, you know, the scripture references where teachers will be judged more harshly. There's a, a responsibility that, that these people that God has given to me, um, I am to nourish them. I am to love them as Christ loved them um, and to be that, that image of Christ's love for all of them. That is an enormous privilege, and it's something that I um, find myself getting getting very excited about and also recognizing that um, you know this is a calling that is only possible with with the grace of with the grace of God um, at my diaconal ordination Bishop Brewer preached about how um, the work of, of clergies and, and you know he was talking about deacons there but there were many transitional deacons and so mm-hmm. he understood that it would take on a, a newer significance in six months but he said the work of, of you know your ministry is only possible by constantly acknowledging your weakness and, and kind of running back to Jesus Christ, and um, you know I've begun to find that true, and I expect to to find the deeper meaning of that in the years to come. That you know as soon as you feel like okay, I'm doing okay, you know smooth sailing. I, I think that is where you're going to have to be the most careful, and so. You know, the things that I'm nervous about, um, it's when I get past that, that nerves and start getting comfortable that, I'm, that I don't want to be too cavalier. And so, you know, the first few weeks and everything from, you know, nerves about saying Mass and, and the chanting and the, the liturgical movement associated with that, but that will, that will come. And there will be a point at which that comes naturally to me and saying Mass will be, you know, very, very... Um, easy physically, meaning, you know, and it's, it's like the back of my hand. It'll come naturally. But that's also, you know, a worry that, that as soon as you grow complacent or comfortable, um, you know, that's where you risk not, you know, nourishing Christ's people in, in all that you do. When you're hyper aware of it, you know, the, those first few weeks, um, I remember after my diaconal ordination, you know, the first time I put on the collar, you're hyper aware of it. Everything I do is, is an image of the church when I wear this collar in public. I'm being judged because of it. And then, you know, there's a couple times where, you know, after f- four months, you almost forget you're wearing it and you walk in the grocery store. And those moments have kind of made me stop and think, I need to be careful. Um, I'm, an, I'm an image of the church here. The smallest things that I do could, could be taken in way more um, weighty ways than I could have ever intended. And so I need to be careful and, and be hyper aware of you know, am I showing Christ's love to all people? So I think the things that I'm excited about, being there at the altar um, and, you know, saying the Mass and kind of that closeness with, with our Lord's crucifixion, um, I also know in the future those are the things that I'll need to be, 
you know, the most um, guarding of so that they don't become, you know, normal. Of course, and I know you believe this, but ordained ministers are not the exclusive hands and feet of uh, of Christ. It's just, it's a unique calling that is um, this different. And one of the best practical ways, I think, to help folks understand that when we talk about the ordained life and the priesthood, that we're not saying this is the advanced way to follow Jesus. It's just a way that we've been called that we've been called to give to give our lives in a unique way mm-hmm. to Jesus mm-hmm. sacramentally. So we are, in a way, um, the sacramental hands and feet of Correct. Jesus. Cause that's what we're called to do. Uh, lay people can and should uh, serve the poor, um, study Holy Scripture, teach in various mm-hmm. ways, proclaim in various ways. But our call is to uh, the sacramental life. And, right. and people may not realize this, even in 2023, even in America, that our compensation, you don't receive a salary. I don't receive a salary. We receive a stipend. It is um, an amount of money to free us up from, ideally, the the concerns of a secular world so that we can devote ourselves to spiritual concerns. People also may not realize is that in my letter of agreement, and I know this is exactly the case in the Church of England, you haven't received a new updated one um, yet, but in our letters of agreement, we get one day off a week. Um, you know, we're at, frankly, we're lucky if we can take yeah. one 24-hour day, but there is no, to quote uh, the Dowager Countess in Downton Abbey, you know, what is a weekend? Mm-hmm. It's a different life, and with that, with that life comes all kinds of wonderful uh, privileges and experiences that we don't we don't take for granted, but at the on the other hand, we are committed to the people for whom we've been given a spiritual care. Mm-hmm. Where we are chained in the most loving of ways to say that to the altar, right? Uh, and it's a great privilege and a great gift. But our life ceases to become our own. Mm-hmm. Um, Fulton J. Sheen, one of my favorite communicators of the faith in the 20th century, wrote a book called "The Priest Is Not His Own." Yeah. And um, I certainly feel that. And I, I, I actually think that not noticing your clericals, in a way, we don't want to forget that we represent the church. Mm-hmm. But it's also in a way that I think you are becoming comfortable and now in your, in your ordained skin. Right, right. But you don't notice it. You know? And who knows if you'll follow my um, practice and wear a cassock every day except for today. And yeah. you know, going into Harris Teeter in, in a robe and have people look at you um, strangely. Ah, you don't, you don't, you don't even notice it after a while. When I was in seminary, I had a, um, a priest, Father Ted Hackett, say that he, every time he goes to the altar, it it never loses that sense of awe and reverence. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I mean, that's, <clears throat> come on. Well, I can say, having said mass thousands of times, I never once got to the altar. And felt bored or 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 um, you know resentful or mm-hmm. burdened have to be there, maybe in the process of getting up and yeah. coming and doing. But once I, as Psalm forty three says, once you know I went to the altar of God, mm-hmm. you know the God of my, my joy, joy and happiness, gladness, mm-hmm. I was glad to be there. And every single time, I've um, I've let whatever petulant nonsense that was bothering me minutes before fall mm-hmm. away. So. Um, we're excited, and um, on one hand, I'm glad for you that Lent does correspond with it. Yeah. On the other hand, I kind of wish it was a bit different. 
Um, one thing I do know is that um, the week after you were ordained, I'm taking the entire week <laughs> off. So, uh, so all the mass practice As you, you need is right there, As buddy. Have at it. I think um, that image of a of a chain to the altar is such a helpful way of understanding the priesthood and and why it is not. It's Pauline, you're doulos Christo, yeah, you're a and, slave of Christ. And why it doesn't um, mean that we are holier or. Um, Not at all. You know, Watch the news. More wor- yeah, more worthy than, than the others. It's, but, it, but it is a sense in which we stand there at the altar and are able to see the world come and be fed and then go in and do the things they're called to do. I mean, we see lives transformed and people come to the altar, be transformed, and then you know, start an overflow shelter or um, start their own ministry for those in need. I mean, that is, that is what we are called to do, is to feed people with Christ and, and almost fan the flame in them, and then send them out, you know, um, inflamed with the love of Christ and, and doing what, what they are able to do, that we, you know, have been set apart to be chained to the altar. They have, you know, the rest of their day um, and their jobs that they kind of go and be a witness um, to other people for Christ. And there is that um, kind of nice representation of, you know, this is, this is where we are, um, and we can't go further because that's where we've been called. So the other people come and they are fed and then they get sent out. I mean, yeah. everything happens in this nice kind of ordered way, not because we are holier, but because we've been chosen for this specific place. I mean, calling. there really is a misunderstanding on this that is unfortunate. And, and the misunderstanding, I think, comes because of other Christian communities whose model of, of ordained leadership or whatever is... Um, not rooted in the tradition and mm-hmm. becomes an excuse for power. So we are set apart, not set ab- above. I mean, yes, we have spiritual jurisdiction, mm-hmm. but it's very much like what Paul is writing in Ephesians about the relationship of husband and wife. I mean, if you read it, if you proof text and lift one verse, it looks like that the, the wife is subservient to mm-hmm. the husband. But what's he say to the husband? Give your life for your yeah. wife. It is a mutual submission. So while in in the in the parish, you know, the rector has spiritual jurisdiction, but the rector also devotes his life to the people right. and, and is the servant of them. Mm-hmm. So it's not you don't lord it over them right. at all. So we're not called to be better than, mm-hmm. but we're called to um, to the sacramental priesthood. Mm-hmm. That's why I think using words consistently like the priesthood and priest, which has that sacrificial right. connotation, is important because we absolutely need very much Christians in every walk of life um, to be fed by the sacraments, mm-hmm. strengthened by the sacraments, and then build the kingdom in every way. We cannot give the impression that to follow Jesus has to look like this one particular right. walk of life. Right. Um, that's not correct at all. We need Christian athletes, Christian students, Christian teachers, Christian garbage collectors. Yep. And, and our guilds that we have, one of the ones, that we, they're named after various saints, most of them. St. Isidore the Farmer yeah. was not a, a great landowner who made all this money and built hospitals. He was a farmer mm-hmm. who was uh, sanctifying the mundane mm-hmm. and saying his prayers in that particular very ordinary rural walk of life, yep. but he found holiness there. And we remember him all these years later, not because of his erudition, not because of you know of his wealth, but because of his piety. Yeah. We need the same thing in every walk of life. So we deal with that a lot of people confused about 
And there, there, there are too many. Frankly, when you see clergy in the news, 99 out of 100 times, it's bad. Oh, yeah. Um, and lately in the news, there's a lot of bad to see. Mm-hmm. And so we have to, uh, with great humility and repentance, acknowledge that those in our calling have completely abused yep. the responsibility and gift given to them. And there's no excuse for it. Only, o- only call for repentance and transformation. Yeah. However, that doesn't mean um, that the whole model is is corrupt. Correct. Yeah, and and there is a scripture does not parse words with with those who have that calling. Harsh. And, Ezekiel is very harsh yeah, in particular. And, yes, and falling absolutely. down on that. I mean, that is not not taken lightly. Yep. Um, nor should we. Yep. So, one of the things that um, you know is so emblematic of ordination is the calling down of the Holy Spirit. Um, the idea that. You know, when the bishop lays hands, it is give your Holy Spirit to name, fill him with grace and power, and make him a priest in your church. The bishop is not saying, I make you a priest. Correct. It is it is asking the Holy Spirit, make him a priest. that comes after the singing of the Vini Creator yeah. Spiritus, Come Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. So uh, it kind of opens the door for us to kind of talk about that that idea of the Holy Spirit kind of empowering the church. Um, we see that in, in the consecration of the priest. We see that in, in the hymn that we sing, Come Holy Spirit. It's also something that's been in, in the current events recently, um, in, in the mm-hmm. news, uh, the, the Asbury revival that has kind of uh, been a thing and then also spurred on you know numerous reactions to it that have kind of almost been a news story in and of itself. As I, people's think reactions even, I think to the it. reactions have been a bigger story yeah. than the actual revival. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, a college and a, a small church on the college, is that is the relationship between them? No, this was a, the college um, chapel. The college chapel, yeah. okay. Um, has been having a revival for almost three weeks now? It's over now. Is it over? So okay. it was, I think, two full weeks. Asbury University in Kentucky, small um, mm-hmm. um, Wesleyan-based mm-hmm. um, college, like... Um, and you went to Oklahoma. I I'm, did. Sh- I'm sure people prayed in Oklahoma. But if you went to a Christian-based college like I did and like Asbury, mm-hmm. it is very common to have compulsory chapel yep. um, once, twice, three times a week. The they little take a sc- role? They do. The little yep. school that I went to, we had chapel on, I forget if it was uh, Tuesdays or Thursdays, but we had chapel on one of those days mm-hmm. and a convocation on the other day. The difference, frankly, is I think one just had more music than the yeah. other. Basically, it was the same. We had to attend 17 per semester, and we were charged $15 for every one oh, under wow. 17 that we missed. And I paid every single semester. I paid like <laughs> 50 bucks every semester, um, which is not a great thing for me as sitting here 18 years ordained, but I hated going. And so the idea, so basically at Asbury, that's what they were having, mm-hmm. standard Chapel, I'm assuming in Asbury, a certain yep. number or, or a compulsory, and they went to. And, you know, it's, it's about 45 minutes. It's typically before lunch. Yep. You sing a few hymns. You know, back in the late 90s, it was, um, you know, our God is an awesome God and, you know, whatever else. And yep. we went to lunch. I'm, hopefully music's changed in, in that time. Uh, maybe a little bit. But, but they, they my understanding was they did it. Um, and I think, actually, I think there's video of the sermon, which by all accounts was, is, a, was a pretty mediocre sermon. He, the guy a, apparently texted his wife after and said, said I'll be home soon. Yeah. It was a stinker. Yeah, yeah. And 
a, a two good weeks helpful later. reminder yeah. that uh, it doesn't depend on you. So <laughs> I think what happened, what's interesting is, my understanding is that it wasn't as if there was a moment of Pentecost in the service itself. Mm-hmm. Chapel was over. Yep. Most people went to lunch, but like, you know, 15 or mm-hmm. so stayed and continued, I think, to maybe sing yeah. and pray. And, and I think what happened was that caught on. And mm-hmm. so people maybe came back from lunch mm-hmm. and maybe they skipped class in the afternoon. And so those 15, um, that snowballed into a round-the-clock constant session of, of uh, prayer and music that lasted for a couple of weeks until the school, I'm sure in consultation with the students, yeah. shut it down because it no longer belonged to the school and yep. people on the outside were trying to sort of co-opt and be a part yes, of it and take over. And, and, you know, to their credit, I think, I think Asbury deserved, whatever you think about what happened, to Asbury's credit, they were very careful, I think, in protecting the students from absolutely from the adult, churchy adults who were trying to come in. And, yep. and, and news agencies yeah. and, um, you know, all sorts of kind of famous people on Twitter who wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, they, they were very, very careful through it all because they knew what I think some of the reactions were going to be to this. So why would that be a problem? Um, why would why would anyone have a negative reaction? But from, from again, we acknowledge that you and I swim in a pretty rare um, niche yeah. um, circle Religious of, of, of information. Yeah. So our Twitter feeds look very different than probably most mm-hmm. people's, and what we pay attention to is different from most people. I, I completely understand that. But from my, what I saw... Probably eighty percent was negative. Yes, or at least mild critiques. That's, mild that's critiques, kind of what I saw. or suspicion. Yeah. Now I have my thoughts, and we really—the beauty of this podcast is we talk about things all the time. But this is not a rehearsed, planned thing. No. So a lot of this is um, an honest question. Why do you think Asbury, the revival, was um, controversial? Yeah. So I, I started at first. I started trying to see why people thought it was controversial, and then I also step back. So some of the critiques I saw, you know, people were saying, oh, it's too evangelical. Or What does that mean? Uh, when someone says it's too evangelical, they or, mean, or most likely to me, it's too Catholic, my first question is, what, what does do that mean, mean yeah, by yeah. that? I think the people I saw saying it was too evangelical, what they meant by that was one of two things. One was, there's no collars there. It was, it was student-led, um, which means there's nobody there to check or make sure that whatever said is, you know, kosher or whatever. Or they meant... It's too associated with the evangelical church, and I have a lot of baggage with the evangelical church. I and mean, that was kind of the two camps that I saw. And, and you know, that ended up devolving into the Asbury's problematic politics. I saw people critiquing that and the people associated with them. And, and to Asbury's, Asbury's credit, a conservative, correct. evangelical, and, and credit, Wesleyan I school. I think they were aware that people would say that. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw... Um, like Fox News hosts saying they, they wanted to go in and cover it, and they got turned away. Because yep. I think Asbury was saying, we don't want to be associated with any of this. This is something that happened, and we're trying to not necessarily, you know, write our own narrative, but at least protect it from being taken and run with by people And they people have some who, experience with this. The same thing happened in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I saw those... those um, kind of dismissals or suspicions of it. But then I thought, what does this say about us... 
Christians in general, the church, that I almost wasn't surprised that it was met with suspicion. You know, I thought, well, of course it was met with suspicion. Everyone's going to be suspicious of something like that. And then I started to try to think, why is that? Um, I think part of it is jealousy. I think a lot of the suspicion was coming from, like, the Episcopal Church, you know, Lutherans, the, the mainline Protestant denominations who are often critiqued as being, you know, too uptight, um, not Pentecostal enough, not even je- And I think there was almost a sense of jealousy there that um, there's a freedom that is being proclaimed and, and demonstrated, and I think people want that, um, but they want it on their own terms. And so there's that suspicion of, I'm not really sure what to make of this. I kind of like it, but I, I'm almost scared of it because it's mm-hmm. not in my comfortable bubble. So I, th- I think there was that element of jealousy. But I also think that there was um, uh, a fear almost of what if that happened to me? What would that mean? And I think people are always fearful when they talk about the spirit working because I don't think a lot of people understand what that means. So you think revival, spirit-led, and I think people get uncomfortable with that because they think, I don't know what that means. What does it mean to be spirit-led? I've never experienced that. So... I'm suspicious if you say you have. I mean, it, it's a similar way, and this might be a bad example of when somebody says, you know, God told me this. Um, and for people who have never maybe heard God's voice, and, and what people mean by that, you know, people take that too far. Um, absolutely. If, if they say God told me something that's contrary to the Scripture, Correct. no, he didn't. Yeah. But um, people who have never experienced maybe that intimacy in prayer, I think always get suspicious of it because... They've never. They don't know what they're talking about. There's there's a lack of communication, a lack of shared experience, and it makes us suspicious if you've never been in a you know maybe a revival setting because you you don't know what they're talking about. So you think, well, no, that can't be what you think it is. You're making that up or something like that. That, that was kind of my preliminary thoughts. I'm, I'm curious to hear what yours were. Similar. I mean, I said in my Ash Wednesday homily, I think well. I talked about jealousy about the Super, Super Bowl ad, yeah. but I think actually I'm gonna come back to that because I think there's some. I need to write this down so I don't forget my train of thought. I think there's some parallel to that. The initial uh, reaction from people that I saw all came from people who were in church leadership positions, yeah. and I think there was a bit of gatekeeping on that mm. because and um, saying that well, there was no, there were no clergy leading this, therefore. It can't be good or can't yep. be real, yep. which is an awful thing to say. Um, and then from that comes a purity spiral of saying, well, th- and I heard people say there's no proclamation of the word. So now the word becomes what has to be present for yeah. a revival in there. Right. And so, and that, but, but the proclamation of the word is, is the domain of those who have been trained, have been called yeah, clergy, yeah, yeah. right? And so here I am, a person who... Um, um, values the priesthood as highly as one can value it, and I'm acknowledging. Yeah. I think there were some people who were saying there weren't any um, adult. There were no adults in the room, yeah. and that makes us nervous. I think really is what is happening on that. Um, a similar thing to the um, Super Bowl ads. People were having similar critiques, saying it was watered down. It wasn't a real proclamation. Of course, my thought is it's a 60 second ad. How much? How much can you give in 60 seconds yeah. that people will listen to? Why are you bothered by this? Mm-hmm. You know, what did Jesus say? If they're not against us, you know, then they're, they're kind of on the, we're, yeah. we're on the, they're for us here. So let them do their thing. Um, what I really liked about the, what I saw from the Asbury experience was 
Now, granted, I'm sure there were some moments or whatever or some interpretations that I would disagree with, but I wasn't there the whole time. I didn't see any student trying to capitalize on this or any group trying to capitalize on this, meaning they didn't gain anything from Mm -hmm. it. There was no, at least I didn't see, anyone trying to use this for a larger platform that would benefit them. Um, And I think that bubble that Asbury created um, was telling and helpful for that. And um, I think clergy also may be uh, suspicious about movements like this because they can't control them. Correct. And they think, okay, let's let's make a, a comparison in the parish. What if there's a movement among a group that yeah, I'm not in charge people. of? Mm-hmm. What's what's going to happen? Well, I think the answer is goes back to how do we discern what is an authentic outpouring of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit? Is that outpouring causing division? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Right. So if there is an authentic outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it is edifying, it builds up, it does not divide. Yeah. It's marked um, by unity. It brings about Charity. unity. Now the people, now we have to be careful, the people who aren't a part of that may be divisive right. because they're not a part of it. But fundamentally, it seemed to be that the Asbury uh, movement was about edification mm-hmm. and building up. People were coming from other colleges to yep. come see in the beginning. Um, and the other thing I think we have to do is to see, all right, what what kind of fruit is being born in this? And if there are students who now are going to actually come to, you know, maybe, maybe the fruit is um, maybe the next chapels, the following weeks, they won't be as dramatic as this. Right. Maybe there are more people who come. Right. Maybe the students who are there are listening more. That's a win, right? I don't mm-hmm. think you have to have necessarily long-term dramatic effects, but having someone, having two or three people who say who have a who have a renewed commitment of their faith is worth it, mm-hmm. and that's that's enough. So, yeah, I've I've been intrigued by the reaction, um, and I again I'm a big believer in Gamaliel in the Book of Acts. If it's of God, it will last, last. and if it's not, yeah. it's not. So um, have a little patience. As long as there was nothing contrary to the to the proclamation of of, of Jesus Christ, let it ride mm-hmm. and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think so much of it boils down to. Um, you know, people who have said, well, they're not like us, they don't have clergy or whatever, and it's it's a, you know, jealousy or envy or even just anger um, that somebody, you know, who might not be exactly like me is getting a spotlight and having success. Um, yeah, so, I think there's a so pride element Yeah, there. and that's con- contrary to St. Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, not everyone's going to be have this charismatic gift. Not yep. everyone's going to be able to do this. That's the diversity in the body of Christ. Right. Going back to the beginning, not everyone's called to be a priest exactly. saying Mass and hearing confessions. Exactly. But not everyone's called to run a homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's called to give a quiet witness as a farmer. Mm-hmm. We all have our role. Each one is important because the priesthood cannot say to the farmer, I have no need of you. Exactly. Likewise, the farmer can't and say to the priest, priest I, have I have no, no need, need of you. Yeah. You've forgotten Bound that. Bound together in Christ. Absolutely. <laughs> I was reading um, Bishop Brewer wrote something as kind of a response to this. Um, Who's Bishop Brewer? Tell us. Uh, bishop Brewer is the bishop of Central Florida. He is, he is my, as of right now, canonical bishop. Um, he ordained me to the diaconate and, and will be ordained me to the priesthood. Um, and he is retiring this year. Um, and I had the privilege of going down and, and voting in, in the next bishop's election um, for uh current canon, canon um, now Bishop-elect Justin Holcomb. And so um, 
Canon Holcomb uh, has experience actually in, you know, the evangelical world before he was in the Episcopal world. Um, and Bishop Brewer has, in his kind of response to this, was writing about similar experiences before, you know, he was in more Pentecostal or evangelical circles. But I really liked what he had to say, and he actually references the, the hymn, um, Come Holy Spirit. And this was kind of his conclusion. I believe the Holy Spirit is doing something historic at Asbury, but it is not limited to Asbury. Wherever we are, we too can be a part of what God is doing. I don't have to go to Asbury, but I can be available for God to use me however and wherever he sees fit. Please join me in this cry, come Holy Spirit. It's a perfect reminder that if we are willing to say, come Holy Spirit and mean it, that revival can happen anywhere. Um, And I always think it's funny, you know, a lot of Episcopalians were saying, well, we don't have revivals like that. Why don't we have revivals like that in the Episcopal Church? It's not because we don't ask. We ask for the Holy Spirit every time we gather. Um, you know, I mean, even in our Eucharistic prayer, sanctify these gifts and then sanctify us also. Yeah. I mean, there is that, that request to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We ask for it all the time, but are we willing to actually experience it, to see it? Um, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I think what, what marks, you know, Maybe the maybe the students at Asbury from from us in the day to day life is they became more aware of it all of a sudden. Um, it's like when Thomas Merton says, "All of a sudden, my eyes were opened, and I I sincerely loved each person standing on the street. I saw God in them. I saw the image of God in them. They always had the image of God, but these revivals, these moments of intense clarity, are marked by being full of the Spirit and having our eyes open to God's presence all around us. And what happened in Asbury? was consistent with what has been happening in Asbury. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is the the outward manifestation of of this revival is consistent with how they normally pray. I yeah. mean I think to have I mean the, for instance the music didn't change. Right. I mean they weren't singing right. Gregorian chants. It was chant. in their context. It was in their context. Their their bodily reactions to this was consistent with mm-hmm. I would imagine how people maybe respond in chapel period. I think basically we can say it was a cha- chapel service that just did not end, right. which is how I think is the best description of heaven. It's yeah. a church service that does not end. And so I think that when people say, well, we don't have them here, well, of course we do. We have prolonged things here all the time. Um, immediately what comes to mind would be the watch before the Blessed Sacrament yeah. on Maundy Thursday. There are 40-hour devotions before this sacrament, 40-hour devotions in other ways that people have been doing in a, in a Catholic tradition for a long, long, long time. Um, you know, we have here at St. Timothy's, um, you know, Mass um, most every day, it will be every day um, in the next 45 days. That is a continuation. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a never-ending right. um, participation in the Holy Spirit, asking for um, for Him to transform the, the bread and the wine into in the body and blood of Christ. So we have to also, again, not have that 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 gatekeeping purity spiral yeah. that it must look like, like this, that, yeah. It's just not simply how it's been experienced yeah. um, in, in the life. A revival can be an inward, quiet move, mm-hmm. but but powerful nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got you know twenty minutes left. I think I think it might be worth talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We talk about spirit-led revival being full of the Spirit. Um, that brings up a lot of questions in people's minds. Um, and as I was you know just briefly looked up, okay, well how does 
what does Jesus say about the Spirit in the Gospels? Um, and I came across two verses that I think give this dual identity of the Spirit as a giver and as a gift. Um, and I think that's a helpful way of understanding it. So Luke eleven thirteen. 13, um, I'm going to flip to that right now. And this is um, kind of this identity as, as of the Spirit as a gift. This is Jesus talking about perseverance in prayer. And he says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That idea that, you know, parents who are, who are sinful know that, you know, the, the examples he gives. If the child asks for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? No, you're going to give him what he needs. You're sinful, you're finite, you don't know everything, and you even know how to give a good gift. How much more will your Heavenly Father give you the, the best gift of all, which is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is, is a gift given to us, to all who ask. I mean, they, there is that element of, um, you know, people saying, well, I ask for the Holy Spirit all the time. It's given to you. you. You should never have a doubt in your mind that I've asked but have not received. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, you know, the Father says he's going to give to those who ask him. Um, we don't always feel it 100% every single day. I mean, that is part of the human experience is to wrestle with that, um, to work through our doubts and to work through our unbelief. But one thing remains is that the gift has been given to us and that's not been taken away from us. Yeah, and let's, let's, let's talk about who the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. is. The Holy Spirit is not some extra add-on to the Christian faith. Yeah. That once we come to believe and follow Jesus, it's yeah. it's like the the nitrous oxide yeah. in our car. We hit the we hit the button the and boost. we have a boost yeah. or whatever you want or the B12 shot. No. We do not know Jesus Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. Exactly. We do not pray to God the Father apart from mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit St. Augustine had the great image of of uh, of the divine economy rooted in love of the Father being the lover, the Son being the beloved, and the Holy Spirit being the love that is between them, a love so intense that it is a divine person, mm-hmm. and it proceeds between from them both as a divine person, um, which is why in the Creed, the controversial line in church history is we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and, and the, the Son, because there's this mutual giving of themselves, of their own love to one another, and that love is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The best physical way, and any time we come up with any kind of physical representation of the Trinity, we're going to immediately have limitations. Yeah. That's my disclaimer. That's my caveat. That's why shamrocks only go so far. Yeah. You can, or water ice. Oh yeah. They only steam. they only go and and that one doesn't go far at all. Yeah. But the image of uh, I remember being as a little boy. Um, I remember in the summertime we had a clothesline, and the bed sheets were hung out in the summertime. And there's nothing like having fresh bed sheets that have been kissed by the sun mm-hmm. and having them on the bed. And I remember. My mother would would come in, and I think sometimes my father would help her on occasion, but to put the sheets on Mm -hmm. the bed. And I remember after the initial uh, fitted sheet was put on, I would jump in the bed, and the two of them would hold either end, and then, then, you know, I would be tucked in with that bed sheet. So imagine um, the two people on either side of being the father and the son, the bed sheet being the Holy Spirit. We are the ones that are now enveloped yeah. by that sheet. And what is that sheet? But the love of the Father and the Son together. Right. And so the Holy Spirit is not a nebulous force, energy thing. Mm-hmm. It is the love 
of God. Yeah. Um, but not not a um, um, what's the word? Not a sort of passive love yeah. of God. It is the love of the Father and the Son. Absolutely, and um, I think that's always helpful to to push back on. You know, don't fall into Star Wars theology. Yep. Don't fall into you know the this, matrix. Yeah, don't don't you don't have to do that. The scripture gives us enough to work with. You know, the Spirit is a person. It is a gift given to us. Um, one of the things that you said recently when we were talking about it is it's the quickener. It is the the giver of life. So you know, I read Luke eleven thirteen, the Spirit as a gift given to us, and then Luke twelve twelve. Um, kind of gives us this identity as the Spirit as a giver. What is what is He giving? For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what you ought to say. That's when He's talking about um, prayer. And then in John six sixty three, Jesus says, "It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are Spirit and life." There's that sense in which the Spirit is the thing that makes us alive. Um, Saint John Cronstad, I think I'm pronouncing his last you name are. correctly. Uh, has a wonderful line where he says, everything that breathes, breathes by air and cannot live without air. Similarly, all reasonably free creatures live by the Holy Spirit as though by air and cannot live without him. Every soul is quickened by the Holy Spirit. That idea that for our souls, for our Christian life, the Spirit is is like the air. It is what we depend on to actually make us alive, which means that without that Spirit, we are not fully alive. And I think that's how you understand, you know, when Jesus says the only sin that cannot be forgiven is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's the denial of life. It is rejecting the life that's been given to you. And what is the opposite of life? It's death. Um, that is the, the path that leads to death and destruction because you have, you have rejected the life given to you. Your soul is made fully alive by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Spirit give you? It gives you life. It gives you you know, the, the words that you are to say at that hour in your trials and tribulation, um, the Spirit is that gift and the giver um, throughout the scriptures. And, and we have enough there to work with without having to resort to, you know, things that aren't in the scriptures, um, you know, vague descriptions or conjectures about what the Spirit is and what it does. Yeah, uh, the, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our advocate. Yep, you know, and the comforter. I, I need to do the, which is why comforter works for me in thinking about the bed sheet yeah, coming down. Yeah. Honestly, but an advocate is the one who I, I I'm doing the etymology on the fly. I would imagine sort of to to speak to you or to yeah. speak for you. Yeah, um, gives um, you the words to say at that hour. Yeah, and so, um, but the advocate also. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit and the way do we help keep that discipline and, and discern for ourselves and when we hear others talking about, well, the Spirit spoke to me or I feel led mm -hmm. by the Spirit, is that Spirit or is that uh, resulting action bringing you closer to Jesus Christ, bringing you closer to Jesus Christ on the cross where we come in contact with um, the outpouring of His love? Um, or is it, if the Holy Spirit is making us unique away from Christ and yeah. the body of Christ, then that in the discernment of the spirits should be the reddest of flags that, yep. that are raised. Yep. Yeah, the spirit is God. Um, it's not. He's not going to lead you somewhere that is not of God. I mean, and if the spirit leads you to something that God becomes subservient to you, it is not of God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. It seems very simple. It seems straightforward. Um, okay, here's an example, real quick. Well, the Holy Spirit says, I don't need to come to church anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 that's not true at all. Yeah. That, that's contrary to the, to the whole thing. So that's, no, that's, that's you. 
not the right. Holy Spirit. Right. Or, I mean, we can give all sorts of examples about that, but again, it, it seems so simple and straightforward, and in a sense, it is. Um, we just like to make ourselves the boss sometimes. Yep. And so, you know, the Spirit told me, or, and I think we'll sometimes confuse a positive experience with the Spirit. Yep. Um, and those are not the same thing. I mean, people will say, I don't need to go to church. I find God in the mountains. No, you just like going on hikes, Correct. as you should. God's creation is beautiful. That positive experience is not is not the same thing you get in church. And well, it's we not better than. And we can't use the Holy Spirit as the scapegoat to justify yes. doing what we already want to do. Yeah, and we're doing what Jesus, the in, opposite of what Jesus in commanded you to do. In terms of... Uh, our own spiritual practices, or even sort of decisions by a body to justify a decision. Saying, right. What, I, just because the majority goes for something doesn't mean it's spirit-led. Yes. Yeah. Oftentimes, though, that is the way to discern. Yeah, we, we trust that we trust, the Spirit will lead. Right, yeah. um, and over the course of history, we trust that God has led, the Spirit has led the church yep. for you know, our, our canon of Scripture. I mean, there's, there's But because the church the is divided, this is the, this, is, this is the thing that I think that the Orthodox, uh, Eastern Orthodox, speak with this humility, mm-hmm. that, like, for instance, we're getting into church current events, but the Roman Catholics have had councils, Council yeah. of Trent, Vatican yeah. Council, Second Vatican Council. They're doing this um, synodal way right now. The Orthodox Church would say, we could have minor synods, Mm-hmm. but no counsel, because the church is divided. Yeah. And so how can we trust the Holy Spirit to speak to the wholeness of the church when we are fractured? Wonderful, yeah. And I think that's a very, very important thing to remember. Mm-hmm. We can have local gatherings that, we, um, that we, can, we can hope and pray the Spirit will guide, but in terms, I think, of authoritative, definitive uh, pronouncements of the Spirit, yeah. I don't know if... I don't know if we can trust in those in our division, yeah. which is why in the Book of Common Prayer, we trust in the seven ecumenical councils, mm-hmm. which were all done before 1054, right. the Great Schism, the split between East and West, when there were, when there was no organic, official, yeah. division in the church. It's also a helpful reminder that uh, we should be wounded by that. Absolutely. Um, rather than being prideful that we have the correct breakaway. The broken church is a broken body of Christ. That should always be uh, humility for us. That should always be um, a wound in our side. Um, That we should never grow comfortable or complacent or okay with that. If you're in a car wreck and you break your leg, um, but it wasn't your fault, your leg is still broken. Yeah, can't walk on it. You're not charged for the for the offense, but you still have a limp. Yeah. So thinking about, um, you know, descriptions of revivals as full of the Holy Spirit, um, I, w- I was trying to figure out what, is that, what does that look like after the fact? These students leave Asbury, you know, they, they go on with the rest of their lives. They're full of the Holy Spirit after this revival. You know, we're all full of the Holy Spirit, um, but in a much more intimate way right now for them. What does that mean for them? And I think John 7, 38 through 39 gives a, a good uh, physical description of it. And this is um, rivers of living water. So, you know, this is uh, Jesus standing there and he cries out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive. So Jesus is saying, you know, when you receive the Spirit, it becomes as a river of living water in you. I really like that description because 
we talk about, you know, this Lenten wilderness. I'm wandering in the desert without water. What is it that we crave? We crave the gift of the Spirit as if it's a river of living water, kind of refreshing us. And I think the, the purpose of these revivals, you know, people may ask, you know, well, why do we need that right now? Well, look around the world. We have a world who is parched, who is desperate for refreshment, or um, even if they don't realize it, they, they need that gift of living water. Um, the same thing that Jesus tells Nicodemus, you know, um, born of water and, and born of the Spirit. Um, the Spirit actually is the, the agent in that water, um, in baptism. But out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. The Spirit then flows out of us. You know, it is a gift given to us. It gives us life, and then it, it overflows it in our life. Yeah, as fruits of the Spirit, as rivers of living water. To be full of the Holy Spirit is never a private affair. It is never something that, you know, nobody knows about because it should be overflowing in our lives. Um, and so I, you know, like that image because when we show up every Sunday in church, take our context, for example, revivals happen every week. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are fed with the body and blood of Christ. And then what? We are sent out into the world. Depart in peace. Let us bless the Lord. We are sent out to go and serve the Lord. To, to contain that spirit, you know, we, we come and are refed. We are refilled. And then we leave the church and it should flow out of us. Um, and what are the fruits of the Spirit? Of love, joy, love, patience, joy, yes. kindness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah, and so know, that, that image of being filled to be poured out and then being refilled to be poured out again, that is the Christian life. And that that almost is what life, uh, a life of revival looks like. It is a never-ending cycle of being filled up to be poured out again for the people around us. I think it's important to um, I think it's important to maybe make a, a distinction, and maybe it's a slight distinction between revivals that we that we call in advance as uh, an opportunity for for people to get together for intentional, continuous prayer, scripture, proclamation, mm-hmm. etc. Good old-fashioned Southern revival. Yep. Um, which may or may not have um, the kind of outpouring that we saw at Asbury. Yeah. So you have those, which are fine, and those are just in in in, in the more Catholic tradition, we would call those missions yep. more than revivals. But the point was the same. Yeah. It was to call about a recommitment, a renewal, yeah. uh, to have your faith revived. Right. Doesn't necessarily entail or promise a charismatic manifestation. Yes. It just simply says, we're going to spend three or four days. Uh, a retreat can be a yep. similar thing yep. like that. That's one category. The other, though, and, and those can be where they are, they are planned, and when people go, um, they can, if they're properly disposed, walk away with some renewal. That's the whole point. That's why we do them. You are revived. There are also surprising outpourings of Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. I think Asbury is one of those that wasn't planned. As we said, the preacher thought he bombed. It was a stinker. It was a stinker. Um, And then other, other examples will be surprises. The thing is, though, the people were properly disposed. Mm. They were um, they were there. They were in a place where prayer was happening, um, and um, and there were and there were other people there. The thing about the Asbury one was it was fifteen or so first, yeah. 
and then people were moved by them. So um, I think that when we think about the role of the Holy Spirit in our, in our own lives and revivals in a parish context, is to make that distinction and, and, and recognize that it's a, just a renewal and doesn't have to be a charismatic experience yeah. of it. It could be for some people, yeah. um, but, but, but not always. But finally, sometimes these things happen as a surprise. They catch us off guard. Yeah. And I think if you think about your own moments where you remember a renewal, maybe it was um, planned in the sense, I'm going to go away hoping for something or some renewal or I'm going to dedicate myself. But oftentimes it completely catches us off guard Mm -hmm. in a beautiful, wonderful way. Yeah, we don't keep the spirit in a box. Let him out to play, you know, every Sunday for an hour. No, the spirit is, is alive and at work in the world around us. Wonderful. Well... You know, we've talked about revivals and being full of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we began with, with, you know, a discussion on ordination where we asked the Holy Spirit to come and, and make uh, him a priest. Those are the words that I will hear in 45 days. And um, it is always a good reminder that we are not the, the owners or the authors of our salvation, that it is the work of the Spirit being given to us, um, lest we become too prideful as as. Christians in general, or as clergy, as leaders in a church, um, you know, we should never be too puffed up to think that we did something um, worth doing. It is, it is always by the grace of God that the Spirit moves, and, and that's always a, a helpful reminder that, that I need every single day, and I'm, and I'm sure you do as well. Let us close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.